Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this week it's our NFL Week 12 breakdown with a special guest, NFL handicapper Fabian Summer, aka Suma. When I found out there would be no matchbook NFL betting podcast this week, I couldn't let us get to Thanksgiving in the U.S. without weekly football insights from our friend Fabian in Germany, so we dive into our Week 12 bets, and before that, we perform a mid-season check-in on the NFL, getting a read on teams that Fabian is higher on and lower on relative to the market moving forward, and to take things home, we talk beer and food pairings to get in the holiday spirit. One quick housekeeping note, for free NFL picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, check out the cutting-edge quick pick section at dimers.com. You can find a link in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimers Bot's biggest edges. And now, enjoy my conversation with NFL handicapper Fabian Summer as he makes his return to Props and Hops. Fabian, welcome back to Props and Hops. You joined us in the offseason. It was episode 46, if any listeners want to get more on your background. But at this point, we're knee-deep into the NFL season. How's it going for you so far? Uh, so-so, so I would say. Um, I'm, I'm not having the, the greatest season. Um, I had a rough start with a couple of bad weeks. Um, I, I think I was at minus eight um, something units at some point, like in week five or so. Um, been slowly recovering and um, looking to maybe have a good week and cross the plus RI territory this week. Yeah, I'll keep my fingers crossed for that upward trajectory for you. It seems like we're going on and maybe slightly divergent paths, which is strange because I try to get and play myself on your insight as much as I possibly can. Up until a few weeks ago, I would have said unequivocally it was the best NFL betting season of my life. I do like to play teasers, and uh, that's just been a massacre for three weeks and counting now. And then uh, totals, I, I, they've never been my strong suit, but they've been particularly tough for me to figure out this week. I feel like even when there's decent CLV, they haven't been panning out. Um, so overall, it's still been pretty good, but the last few weeks have been uh, you know, bringing the ROI back down from unsustainably good to just more of a level that we'll hope to maintain overall throughout the course of the season. And a couple bets that we might want to look into when we're tallying up our end of season ROI would be some regular season win totals. I'd like to quickly check in at this mid-season stage. Uh, you mentioned when we last spoke, the Raiders under seven were a bet for you. And that was looking pretty perilous after a five and two start. But now the Raiders are five and five, all kinds of turmoil around the team. And I remember you said no wide receiver outside of Henry Ruggs. Um, for reasons much bigger than football, obviously. He's no longer part of that equation. With where the Raiders stand right now, how do you feel about that under seven? Do we still have any chance of maybe even getting at least a push on that one? Um, I think right now we are probably hoping for a push. Um, it was a bad start for the bad. I mean, the Raiders surprised us all a little bit in, in the sense that um, their pass rush was much better to start the season than we anticipated. Um, with Yannick Ngakwe and uh, Max Crosby absolutely going bananas in, in some of these matchups. Um, and also, there were a few games where Derek Carr just slinged the ball down the field and on, on a lot of deep passes. I mean, that element of the offense basically declined um, in the minute that Henry Rux had that terrible 
um, um, accident in Las Vegas. So Henry Rux really opened up their deep passing game. And I think until the point where Henry Rux um, got um, cut from the team, they had like the second most deep passing attempts in the league. And they were pretty good at it. I think they ranked like second in EPA per play on deep passes. And that element is completely gone. And I don't think that Deshaun Jackson can fill the role of Henry Rux um, right now. So that offense has really come, really came down to earth. And the defense also regressed as the season went on because they had some cornerback injuries. Um, they were not really good outside of Casey Hayward. And uh, when you don't have proper coverage, um, even the best pass rush can get negated at some point. So um, right now, I would say that over the past couple of weeks, the Raiders are playing much closer to the level that we anticipated when we made that um, under bet on their season win total. Um, but in the end, um, it could be very close because they had that good start with overtime wins against Baltimore, against Miami. They had that great win at Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, um, until the end of the season, I mean, Dallas, Washington, KC, Cleveland, Denver, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, Chargers. So that's a pretty tough schedule. Um, if they win against Washington and Denver, um, they would have to lose, um, the other five games against some, uh, some really tough playoff opponents. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but, um, I, I'm probably just looking at a push there and not a win. Yeah, another team that got off to a hot start, but has since uh, shown signs of coming back to earth that you had an under ticket on. That would be the Steelers under eight and a half. And you mentioned this possibly being the year that they collapse. A lot of people maybe buying into a narrative going the other way, thinking, hey, they haven't had a losing season since 2003. And with that in mind, how would they go under eight and a half in a 17 game season? I would say, well, they tied the Lions. So sitting at five and four and one today, another eight loss season actually would catch this under. And the losses for the Steelers might not stop at eight the way things have been looking recently. What are your thoughts on that Steelers under eight and a half regular season wins wager? I think that's sitting a lot better than the Raiders right now. I mean, you just mentioned it. Uh, they are at five wins. So they could only win uh, three more to make that a, a winning ticket. And with Cincinnati, Baltimore, Minnesota, Tennessee, KC, Cleveland, and Baltimore, we are looking at um, one, two, three, four, five um, playoff, playoff teams, six games against playoff teams, and one against Cincinnati that are favored by four at home against the Steelers this week. So to be honest, under eight and a half is looking pretty good right now. Um, the Steelers offense, they played very poorly at the start of the season. I think that they got better. I mean, we had some huge concerns about their offensive line because they had starters at four positions, new starters at four positions. And it was a, a little bit rough early in the season, but that offensive line really progressed as the season went on. Now they're getting kind of decimated. Um, Kevin Dodson, their best player, is on IR, I guess, with, a, with a, I think it's a high ankle sprain. Um, and they, they are also a little bit banked up at the center position now. So um, then we got the Juju Smith-Schuster injury. TJ Watt has already missed two games. So um, they have been derailed by, by some key injuries so far. And I don't really think that if, we, if I look at that schedule going forward, 
I don't see where four wins should come from, to be honest. I think that they need a significant step forward on defense. I mean, the splits with and without TJ Watt are completely crazy for the Steelers. They are like a bottom five defense without TJ Watt and like one of the best with him on the field. So there's some, some really crazy splits. TJ Watt might come back this week. That should help. But I still don't see how they, with that kind of offense, with that kind of passing game, they will be able to sneak out four wins against all those playoff teams. Yeah, at this stage, things looking pretty good if you joined us taking the Steelers under eight and a half and just keeping those fingers crossed for a possible push on that Raiders ticket. And beyond these two teams, a bit more of a midseason check-in before we dive into week 12. Is there any other team that you would say right now you feel that you're the highest on relative to the market moving forward? Um, tough to say the highest precisely, but I think that in general, I, um, I am or I will be a little bit more or a little bit higher um, on San Francisco than the market because um, I think that their offense, even though they have been prolific over, over the past couple of weeks, I think that they are still a little bit underrated um, in the market. Um, and I also think that the Bucks will be completely back to business uh, by the end of the season. Um, they had some crazy injuries on their secondary I mean, Richard Sherman is, is already out. Carlton Davis, De Carlton Davis was on IR. Sean Murphy Bunting was on IR, I think, for eight weeks. Davis for four or five weeks. Jamel Dean had some injury issues. Lavonte David was out two games. Vita Bea missed a game. Jason Pierre-Paul is not, is not his former self. Um, and on the offensive side, I mean, that offense looked completely different without Antonio Brown. Um, he could be back in a couple of weeks. I think that they are uh, keeping things very cautious with him to get him ready for the playoffs. Um, but that team was a, was basically night and day without Antonio Brown. They missed Rob Gronkowski for like eight or seven weeks. He's now back. So I think once they get all those guys back, that this Bucks team will likely be at the same level as they were as the at the end of the last season. Um, so those would be two teams I'm probably a little bit higher than the market going forward. Yeah, with Tampa Bay heading into the season, I know the market was all over them, obviously the defending Super Bowl champs with Tom Brady. My two potential flies in the ointment were this is the year that Brady finally falls off the cliff. But once again, he's clearly defying time and the favorite as we record this to win another MVP award somehow. And the second concern, which has come through a bit more, would be injuries. The Bucks were so fortunate last year. I believe they were the healthiest team in the league by a long shot when we looked at adjusted games lost due to injury. That has regressed for them. But to your point, if they get that out of the way early, they get healthier and, and you know they could still peak at the right time, much like we saw down the stretch for them last season. I just wanted something to add that um, Tom Brady is is actually playing a lot better than the offensive production would suggest. So when we look at some um, some EPA numbers, um, I think that the offense as a whole in terms of production output is still underperforming uh, because they had all those let's let let's call it a few fluky interceptions, some fumbles, some wide receiver drops. I mean, last Monday against the Giants. Brady throws a simple screen pass to Mike Evans, 
right into his chest and he bumps it into the hands of I don't know who it was, maybe Xavier McKinney or I don't know. That play was probably a 10 EPA, so 10 expected points added swing for Tom Brady in terms of production. So I think if they can clean up some of those individual mistakes and they get some players back, they will be very dangerous once again. Yeah, I think that Mike Evans' deflected interception kind of reminded me of something maybe inspired by Tyreek Hill early in the season. We saw Patrick Mahomes' numbers take a hit because seemingly every throw was bouncing off of Hill's hands or off of Kelsey's helmet, and uh, that was some tough lock for Brady Monday night. So the fact that they still won 30-10 to 10, um, you know, doesn't even do justice to just how much of a dominant performance that was by Tampa Bay. And on the flip side here, if we want to look at maybe a team that you're lowest on relative to the market moving forward, who comes to mind there? Um, again, I, I wouldn't call it lowest, but maybe a little bit lower um, would be or could be potentially the Indianapolis Colts going forward. Um, because, I mean, the Colts are out even sitting in the playoff race right now. But I think that the market is starting to become a little bit more high on them because of some really good uh, recent performances, especially last week at Buffalo. That was a, a crazy statement win. But um, if we just look at some stuff like turnovers, I mean, um, I have the tape in front of me. So um, you can lose EPA on turnovers offensively and you can gain EPA defensively. Um, and... When you combine that, you get EPA differential just on turnovers, just on interceptions and fumbles. And the Colts are sitting in the first place in EPA differential from turnovers generated at 66.7. And now <laughs> the second place team, the Minnesota Vikings, are at 37.9. So the Colts have generated 30 more expected points added from turnovers alone than the next best team in the league. It's completely ridiculous. They were so, so fortunate on turnovers this season. And I just don't see how they can sustain that going forward. And potentially will regress this week against the Bucks. We will probably talk later about that. But um, I just think that the Colts are still missing. They're both starting safeties. They don't have a good pass defense in general. Um, Quentin Nelson is dealing with, with a with a foot injury, um, and I just don't think that the Colts will be a very very good team going forward. They will probably make the playoffs. We can just quickly check their schedule uh, real quick. Um, they have the Bucks, Texans, Patriots, Cardinals, Raiders, and Jaguars. So Texans, uh, Raiders, and Jags look like winnable games for them. Buccaneers and Pats and Cardinals will be tough. So we are potentially looking at a 9-8 Colts team at the beginning of January. And that might be even tough to make the wildcard way. So the Colts are looking really good right now. Great statement win at the Bills. But I don't think that their their way of winning games recently, they are 5-1 in, in their last six games. Um, they also played the Texans, Jets, Jaguars. Um, I don't think that the way they have been winning is highly sustainable and um, it could be really close for them to sneak into the wild card. Yeah, as soon as you mentioned the Colts, a team that you're perhaps a bit down on right after saying you're a bit high on Tampa Bay, 
uh, got me thinking we may revisit this game between Tampa Bay and the Colts pretty shortly here. And before we dig into week 12, just one more macro level midseason thought. Are there any angles? I know year over year, the NFL is constantly evolving. And as we sit now heading into week 12, are there any angles you've seen this year that have really jumped out as being advantageous or perhaps anything that's been a good edge in the past that might be drying up when you look at things from a higher level? The latter was certainly the case with some totals for me this this year. Um, last year, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I think that I played a lot of overs last year because we had that special uptick in scoring scoring environment where offenses have been playing way better. Um, we didn't have a lot of flags, uh, holding flags early in the season. Um, offenses were probably better at moving the ball in empty stadiums whatsoever but last season I played a lot of overs and this year that 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 volume of overs or totals in general that, that I've played last year went down heavily and um, big part is that we have a I wouldn't call it a paradigm shift but defenses are trying to limit big plays more than ever before or more than in, in recent years. Um, and that's really shifting how some games are, are playing out. For example, last week I had the, or, or, or second to last week I had the over in the Vikings and Chargers game. I played it at 52. Um, last season that number would probably have been 54 or something like that. Um, and both defenses in that game were pretty good at limiting big plays. And that's something that I wouldn't say I completely struggled to catch up with because I caught up with, I'm, I'm, I'm just avoiding, or let's say um, I'm just not playing so many overs this year compa compared to last year, last year. But that's certainly an edge that dried a little bit up because last year I think that the market was way too slow catching up to that new scoring environment and there were lots of um, opportunities to, to to grab very good overs in the um, low 50s um, that should have been a, a little bit higher uh, because we had that scoring average that was significantly higher in um, in comparison to years past and that's basically something that uh, I monitored that has dried up this year. Yeah, my first thought there is that totals have also been particularly tough for me this year. They've never been my bread and butter the same way that sides and, to an extent, teasers and props can be at times. But this year it's been really tough, and I've tried to be very mindful of my staking, knowing that my standard unit size for a total shouldn't be the same as it is for a side, let's say. And it's important to like manage bankroll properly. Of course, every better at some point will learn that lesson. Hopefully not the hard way, but yeah, with, with totals, um, a big wake up call for me was to scale that back a bit until I have more confidence in how it's playing out. I mean, CLV has been pretty good a lot of times, so I don't want to just stay away from them altogether. But at the same time, as you build enough of a sample size and ROI continues to move in the opposite direction that you want, then uh, that can be a pretty powerful indicator to monitor your bankroll but moving on, I guess, from totals to aside, let's dig into week 12 bets. If there's anything you're comfortable sharing, I feel pretty confident in kicking it off with that game between the Bucks and the Colts. Tampa Bay now up to a flat three-point favorite as we record this on Thursday afternoon, uh, Pacific time out here in California for me. 
and they were minus two and a half earlier in the week. I'm guessing you might have been part of that move up to the key number of three. Yes, uh, I played the Bucks yesterday at minus two and a half. Um, minus 120 was the consensus number. There were a, f a few uh, minus two and a half flats, but yeah, I'm on the Bucks minus two and a half. I'm currently seeing minus three, minus 150 in the Chris and flat at Pinnacle. I don't know whether that number could come back a little bit. Um, gun to my head at minus three, I would probably still um, rather take the Bucks than the Coles, but I really like getting that minus two and a half earlier. Um, I just think that it's a great matchup for the Buccaneers. Um, like I said earlier, I think that the Bucks are a tiny bit underrated right now. Um, and the Colts, after that big win at Buffalo, is, was probably one of the reasons why that line wasn't minus three to begin with. Um, the Colts have a decent, very decent run defense, but like I mentioned, that they have a shaky pass defense and they struggle to generate a lot of pressure this year. So that's basically a, a nightmare matchup to go against Tom Brady, who can just sit in the pocket and distribute the ball to... Uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and now uh, Rob Gronkowski. And on the other side, the Bills had a very big issue last week. I wasn't involved in the game, so this is completely explaining the game in hindsight. But the, 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 the Bills actually came out with a very decent offensive approach. They started to get Josh Allen involved in the run game. They got him on the move. They they um, tried to come out with some explosive passes, which is exactly how you should attack that um, Colts defense. But the Bills got very unfortunate with with the game script. They had that that, that early um, turnover penalties, um, and then they had the issue that they didn't have their nose tackle star Lotto Lady, and they didn't have linebacker Tremaine Edmonds. So they had a lot of small bodies in the pocket against that elite. Um, Cole's offensive line that were able that was able to run all over them. I think Castle Wentz had like 13 completions uh, in the whole game and they scored uh, 45 points. So it was just from start to finish a very unfortunate game, I would say, from the Bills. Completely credit to the Colts. They played one heck of a game. But I think this this week it's a completely different matchup against a Bucks defense that's likely getting Vita Vea back. And now you have a completely different matchup in the trenches. The Bucks are one of the best run defenses in the league. So that usual game plan from last week won't really work out well. And then you got Tom Brady on the other side, um, who should be able to drop a lot of points on that defense. And that will get the Colts out of their comfort zone, where they cannot run the ball all the time. And where Carson Wentz has to... Um, air it out to to stay competitive in this game and in that case I will simply give the Bucks the edge here and when you said earlier gun to your head you still like the Bucks at the minus three of course the minus two and a half highly preferable is it a case maybe where two and a half would be a full go and if we're looking at three yes it's still a bet but maybe something more in the range of three quarters of a unit yeah I, I would probably say so so I think yesterday, without uh, recent injury updates, I was at like minus three and a quarter, so minus three point two five for the for the bucks. So I would still have a little bit of value at the minus three. Yes. Gotcha. And beyond that game, is there anything else in Week Twelve that's currently standing out to you? Um, I 
took the Atlanta Falcons today um, at Pickham. Um, it's currently minus one. That that is still a goal for me. Um, I just think that this line is a probably a major. I I wouldn't say major, but it's some sort of overreaction in my opinion to recent Falcons results. I mean, two weeks ago, they got absolutely smoked by the Cowboys who had a Mary Cooper, C.D. Lamb, um, and were just steamrolling the Falcons who lost uh, Cordero Patterson halfway through the game and just ran into a buzzsaw against one of the best teams in the league when healthy. Um, and then last week, they played against what looks to be a probably strong playoff contender in the AFC with the Patriots um, without Cordero Patterson. Um, and they basically only had one weapon that was Kyle Pitts that was taken out of the game. Um, the Patriots had a fantastic matchup with their defense where they were able to control the line of scrimmage. And um, they're also playing some really good pass defense right now. So the Falcons were, were not able to run the ball and they couldn't throw the ball. And that's what ultimately led to a shutout. Um, <clears throat> and this week, that's a completely different game. I mean, the Jacks are, in my opinion, a, still a very, very bad team. Um, and I think the, the Falcons are a slightly better team um, that should not be rated on the same level. I mean, I took it at, at Pickham. Whole field advantage is basically basically non-existent. So we were, ba so we, we were saying that the Falcons are basically an, an equal team to the Jaguars with most likely Cordero Patterson back. And that's just something where I disagreed with. The Jaguars offense is completely broken. They just lost Jamal Agnew last year, who turned out to be one of the better playmakers in recent weeks. And last week, Lacron Treadwell played the second most snaps at wide receiver for the Jaguars. I mean, outside of Marvin Jones, there's just nothing that scares you when you face that Jaguars offense. And the Falcons still have AJ Terrell, who is one of the better cornerbacks this year. And even though the Falcons have a very soft defense, I just cannot trust the Jaguars offense to compete with um, Matt Ryan, Cal Pitts, and Cordero Patterson coming off a mini bye week. Um, and yeah, I think the, this number was a small overreaction to the Falcons completely sucking in, in recent games, but I still think they are the they are the slightly better team than the Jaguars, and um, I would love to see them coming out with a win. I know when we spoke in the offseason, the Falcons were another team that you mentioned you were pretty high on entering the season, and that hasn't really come to fruition thus far. So when you look at a game like this, how do you, I guess, divorce those preseason expectations and try to look at this objectively, just where we sit in Week 12 between these two teams, or do you still hold on to some of that optimism from before the season that maybe hasn't shown yet, but you think could be showing for the Falcons moving forward? Yeah, so my prior on the Falcons going into the season was not correct. Um, I, I made some heavy adjustments on them uh, because they they were just simply not the team that I expected them to be. I mean, not having Kevin Ridley, one of the best receivers in the game, certainly doesn't help, but... I also think that early in the season, their offense um, lacked, I would say, some creative play calling. I just couldn't believe or, or wasn't sure whether Matt Ryan and Arthur Smith are, are on the same page. 
Then it got a little bit better, uh, but it got only better against some bad teams like the Jets and the Dolphins. The Giants was a close win, etc. Um, in recent weeks, they got smoked by some good teams. So overall, I think that my assessment on the Falcons was not good and was certainly not the right one. Um, I also have um, Falcons, I think, over seven and a half wins from the preseason. And that's also going to be kind of tough. I mean, Jaguars, um, Lions, um, Saints, and the Panthers could be four games that they could potentially win. But they need to win all of those in order to um, get over seven and a half. Other than that, they have Buccaneers, 49ers, and Bills. That's going to be really tough. You you probably need some um, sick injury luck in order to win those games straight up. Yeah, I hear you there. I think uh, I will also use this as a moment to dive into a few bets I'm looking at in week 12, if that's all right. Maybe get your take, if there is any anything that you feel like you could offer here. Um, first up, the early game on Thanksgiving. I know it's starting in an ideal time for you, more of an appetizer for those of us stateside, but a nice dinner time watch for you in Germany. Detroit hosting Chicago. Currently, those plus threes on Detroit still out there, although that ship appears to be sailing. It's already come down from three and a half, and it's looking like it might move in the direction of two and a half. But if somebody can get Detroit at plus three for a flat minus 110 or even maybe up to minus 115, I feel pretty optimistic about that, just given the way I think these teams match up, especially if Akeem Hicks isn't a go. The Lions have been really run heavy lately. Um I think that the market might be giving them a bit too much credit for Goff coming back. I mean, last week, I believe it was 3.3 yards per pass with Boyle against the Browns. And that was actually a week over week improvement over what Goff had done in his most recent game against Pittsburgh. So it's an ugly dog, but uh, seeing a little bit of value on my end on Detroit plus three, any look for you at this game, or is this just one that you're glad to watch because it's at a convenient time for you and, and that's about it? I will probably need to place any sort of money on that just uh, to have some fun watching that game. Uh, in all seriousness, um, I was leading Lions at plus three under the condition that Jared Goff would play. We will probably not know exactly until tomorrow. Um, um, they said that they lean towards him playing. He said he would be a game day d- decision. So we will probably won't know until tomorrow. I got to be honest. If it's Tim Boyle, <laughs> that's ugly, in my opinion. Um, I still think, despite Jared Goff playing not good at all this year, I still think that he, he's a, a an upgrade over what uh, Tim Boyle showed, showed last week. I think we also cannot ignore the current situation with Matt Nagy. There were some rumors that he would uh, coach his last game for, for the Lions. I think there were also some rumors that players are not really satisfied um, with with Matt Nagy, so that's definitely something to keep an eye, eye on and to consider on the, on a short week. I mean, this game looks like the prime spot for the Lions to get their only win of the season. Short week, Thanksgiving, home game, a decimated Bears squad with some uh, coaching issues or coaching rumors. It looks like like a prime spot, but if it's really Tim Boyle and wow. I don't. I don't think that, that I could um, um, stomach the Lions plus three with Tim Boyle. Yeah, I hear you there. I feel like the way the market's moving, especially at some of the leading books like I don't know, a Circa or a Bookmaker, 
uh, Chris, for those outside the U.S., usually if I see this, it's a sign that somebody may know something and that it's probably going to be Goff. Um, so yeah, I, I see value on the Lions plus three under the assumption that we're getting Goff. If it's Boyle, then yeah, just go ahead and hopefully spend some time with family or friends or loved ones or <laughs> have a good beer, open a good bottle of wine, regardless of the time of day. It's Thanksgiving and there may be better things to do than watch Andy Dalton versus Tim Boyle if that's the hand we're ultimately dealt. Yes, Next exactly. one I'm looking at for week 12 would be the Denver Broncos. Currently plus three, minus 120s do seem to be fairly widely available. Uh, against my Chargers, I'm wearing my uh, Chargers pajama pants as we record this, but not afraid to go against them when the betting board presents value. And I'm pretty tempted for Denver here. Curious for your thought. Uh, something that stood out to me just yesterday, the Chargers beat writer from The Athletic, Daniel Popper, in defense of Joe Lombardi, mentioned some pretty elite offensive numbers for the Chargers. I almost called them San Diego. Uh, hopefully one day they'll get back there again. Um, but the Chargers offense, when it comes to DVOA and expected points added, looking pretty good. And to me, a glaring omission there would be that they fall outside the top 10 in real points scored when we look at a per play or even a per game basis. And I know that usually things regress toward what EPA tells us versus what a scoreboard might say any given week but I can't help but wonder if there's something missing the way Joe Lombardi is running this offense. So when it comes to the Chargers looking elite in terms of EPA and DVOA versus the scoreboard output that they've been producing, how do you reconcile that gap? Yeah, I think that there is a divide between the talent level of the offense, especially Justin Herbert and those receivers, and, what's, uh, and what Joe Lombardi is doing. I think that Joe Lombardi is taking away some of the explosiveness that the offense could execute by calling what I would say sometimes a, a good old Drew Brees offense. So very often they don't try to be explosive enough because you have Mike Williams, who was one of the best deep receivers early in the season. You have Keenan Allen, who can, who can work on any route on the intermediate level. Jared Cook is solid. Donald Palm is solid. Austin Eckler in the short areas. So there could be a lot more opportunities to call more explosive passes on early downs. But so many times and so many drives, it was just those quick five, six yard outruns, stick routes over, over the middle and stuff like that. And I think that's what really the divide is or was for that offense uh, where Joe Lombardi just was not... I don't think whether he was not trusting his guys or whether he wanted to play a specific kind of offense, maybe more of that Drew Brees offense from 2016 to 2020. But so many times I think that they could orchestrate a lot more or, or, or a higher average depth of targets on early downs because on late downs, I mean, Justin Herbert is ridiculous. And I, I think that he's absolutely in the top five quarterback um, discussion right now already. But I feel like in so many games th this year, Joe Lombardi could have called a, a way better game on early downs to, to really um, highlight the strength of this offense. Yeah, and when it comes to this offense going up against that Denver defense, I recall Justin Herbert and the Chargers offense doing pretty well against more vanilla defensive schemes this season. The Eagles, a recent example that comes to mind. But against more nuanced defenses, I think of the Ravens and Patriots doing a lot to change their look after the snap, especially that's given this offense some trouble. 
And Vic Fangio, a defensive mind, I mean, he was kind of Brandon Saley's mentor, so I got to think he has a trick or two up his sleeve to take on this offense. So that also has me giving Denver a bit more of a look here. And then situationally, something that um, I think might be worth at least something. I try not to think too hard from a situational standpoint, but the Chargers on a short week headed to elevation, taking on a Denver team at home, off the bye, only one road game since week seven. I know home field advantage is becoming a thing of the past, but when we stack up all that, I I think it means at least a little something. Uh, Again, ultimately, I'm a fan of the Chargers, but a field goal on the road in this setting uh, seems to overstate the gap between these two teams. So Denver plus three, minus 120, um, getting really close to pulling the trigger on. um, And yeah, based on what you had to say about the Chargers offense, if they can't get that together, then it's going to be tough to bet on them getting any sort of margin against respectable teams. Yeah, I think that matchup-wise, the Chargers shouldn't have a lot of issues moving the ball because Bryce Callahan, their best um, cornerback, is still on still on IR. So Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen over the middle could have a very good game. Um, that Denver front seven is still very decimated. Um, they cannot stop the run very well. So I think that the the Chargers have enough quality on offense to to move the ball against their defense. But I'm a little bit concerned about their defense because the Chargers defense has really been, I would say, falling apart quite a bit. Um, Little Joseph is is on the COVID list. Jerry Tillery is still still on the COVID list. Asante Samuel is in the concussion protocol, second concussion in four weeks. So the Broncos, I mean, they also have some offensive line injuries, but their receivers match up very well with the Charter secondary. And the Broncos also tend to to stay balanced and they want to run the ball. And the Charters have one of the worst run defenses in the league. So I think there are opportunities for the Broncos to move the ball, to keep the ball on the ground, um, match up well with the Charter secondary. And then I also believe that this could be a very competitive game and um, I'm certainly not rushing to bet the Charters here. Yeah, one more side I'd like to speak to, and then I'll more quickly get through a teaser and a couple of props uh, that the audience will be more familiar with with the show's typical weekly format. Uh, that last side it now has definitely lost some luster uh, with some news we got to start the morning here in the U.S., but I was pretty bullish on Minnesota plus three at San Francisco for even money, even some rogue three and a halfs out there. Uh, it looks like the market hasn't reacted too much yet. Yeah, still looks like plus three even money is the consensus number uh, to some pretty disturbing news about Everson Griffin, a really good pass rusher for the Vikings and uh, much bigger than football. Just hope for the best for him as a person, but trying to compartmentalize and think about what he brings to the team. Uh, also losing Dalvin Tomlinson uh, for this one. The Vikings defensive line going to be a bit shorthanded. I do think, though, they have a pretty good matchup offensively with Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson going into that San Francisco secondary that can be quite vulnerable. And just based on the way these teams have played recently, uh, I mean, last week, both teams got fortunate, I'd say. The Vikings minus 2.4 yards per play, and they still get the win over the Packers. The Niners fortunate in that they got to play Jacksonville, so they just had to do a little more than play a clean game, and they got a really big win. But a couple weeks ago, a very, I think, fair and convincing win for the Vikings against the Chargers and the Niners had a pretty lopsided win over the Rams on the scoreboard. But those stats look pretty even. So it's tough for me to get around to the Niners being the clear better team, which this number is saying. 
So I think I still feel good, not as good, but maybe a reduced play with the recent news. Still on the Vikings at plus three for even money. If not, maybe a plus three and a half for minus 115 or so. Any thoughts for you on this one? I know you said earlier that San Francisco is one of those teams that might be um, on its way up moving forward. Yeah, I think that the biggest issue in this game is that the Vikings could be down their full starting defensive line. Um, Everson Griffin, after what happened today, it's hard to believe that he will be in the lineup on Sunday. I also saw a tweet that, that the Vikings have signed, um, have signed an edge rusher from the Patriots practice squad. So that might be a sign that Everson Griffin will be indeed out. Um, Delvin Tomlinson is on the COVID list. Uh, Michael Pierce hasn't been playing for like six or seven weeks. Now he's still dealing with his injury. Daniel Hunter is already out. So this could be a defensive line for the Vikings that's full of backups against that 49ers offense that completely controls games at the line of scrimmage right now. And I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing the Vikings defense getting off the field very often in this game. So... Um, That's um, why I don't have a strong opinion either way um, on the spread. I'm, I'm exactly neutral on the spread right now. Um, I also agree that the Vikings have a good offensive matchup. Um, Kirk Cousins has been very aggressive. The Niners defense tends to be better against the run. And if, if the Niners score early, that might force the Vikings to be more aggressive and to maybe abandon the, their run-first approach a little bit. Mike Zimmer also mentioned that Kirk Cousins needs to stay aggressive and he really likes that and he, he also wouldn't care if Kirk throws an interception. Um, so I'm looking more into the over here. Um, I like the over quite a bit because the 49ers will be able to move the ball. Um, since George Kittle is back, that's a completely different offense. Um, has been over the course of course of the season and I just don't see how the Vikings can control anything at the line of scrimmage with their backup defensive line and yeah um, on the other side I think that um, San Francisco secondary can be beaten can be exploited and Kirk Cousins is playing I don't want to say MVP level but he's playing really really good right now Justin Jefferson is seeing 10 plus targets per game and they should really be able to move the ball through the air Yeah, well, hopefully with that outlook, there's plenty of room for this game to go over and for the Vikings to cover, so we can hope for the best for both of us on that one. Uh, one teaser we'll I'll break this. down quickly here. Yes, um, I like uh, a look at Dallas. Let's see that line. Yeah, it's a, either a soft seven and a half or a heavily juiced seven. Let's call it Dallas, uh, taking them down to minus one and a half, hosting the Raiders in that second game on Thanksgiving, uh, pairing them with Miami plus eight, hosting Carolina. Both of these teasing through the key numbers of three and seven in either direction. For Dallas, one concern, of course, would be the skill players being out or limited. We know Cooper is out. Uh, I assumed Lamb would be out, but maybe uh, Jerry Jones is the Cowboys' independent neurologist because now we're getting reports that Lamb might actually play after suffering a concussion just a few days ago. So his status mm. worth monitoring. But even without him, I, I like the Cowboys' chances here. Zeke banged up, but looking like he'll go as well. In the trenches, though, positive news. Tyron Smith looking like he'll make his return, so I like that a lot for the Cowboys. I'm willing to write off last week as a bit of an aberration. Four drops, only nine points off five drives inside the Chiefs' 30. So I feel comfortable asking Dallas to do a little more than win outright as the clearly superior team at home on Thanksgiving. 
And then on Sunday with Miami, again, largely a numbers grab, getting them up through a touchdown. A lot of hype still around Cam Newton's return, but this isn't the MVP Cam Newton. It's a feel-good story for the Panthers, but I don't think it changes their outlook that much moving forward. And this game has the lowest total on the board, currently 42. And that implies reduced variance, which is pretty much always a big plus when you're teasing a dog up through a touchdown. So I like pairing Miami plus eight with Dallas minus one and a half. Um, any quick thoughts there on your end? Um, I love a Cowboys teaser. I completely agree. Um, Miami, I, I can see a low scoring game where Miami could potentially keep it close. Um, Panthers offensive line still in shambles. I think Cam Newton helps them. I think he's an upgrade over Sam Darnold. Um, I think that the running element from Cam Newton um, really elevates that offense to the next level because with Sam Darnold they had nothing. I mean, he was basically one of maybe one of the or the worst starting quarterback in the league. I think Cam Newton is an upgrade, is an upgrade but. The Dolphins' defense will also be able to attack that offensive line all day long. And then it will be a lot of dink and dunk to Christian McCaffrey against those blitzes. So I can see a low-scoring game. And um, if uh, Miami keeps it within eight and, eight and a half points, that would not surprise me at all. Um, spread, I would probably tend to lean Panthers at minus two and a half because I think they are overall the better team. And I don't really trust Tua against that Panthers defense. But um, teaser-wise... I I think that this could be a very low-scoring game. I mean, the total is 42, so um, perfect for a wrong teaser leg, and um, I, I really like that. Cool. Good to hear. We'll, uh, I'll also get to a couple of props, and if I sound a little bit hurried here, I know that uh, our mutual friend Ross McDowell, host of the NFL Early Value <laughs> podcast, or the Early Value NFL podcast, uh, is going to be waiting for you pretty shortly here. So I want to respect your time. Uh, but also try to squeeze as much of your insight into this Week 12 card as possible. Uh, one prop that I'm looking for on Thanksgiving, Josh Allen rushing yards over. Um, I liked it a lot before Adam Chernoff had to go and move the market. He's been on the ultimate heater this week. Uh, he, I kind of sighed when I saw him release it at 31.5 before it was widely available because now it looks like 35.5 is about the best we can get. Um, I think that's, that's approaching my ceiling for this bet, but I like looking at Josh Allen over that number. Because last week's Saints game was a big reminder for me that a strong run defense doesn't necessarily translate to mobile quarterbacks. I mean, the Eagles, if we exclude kneel downs at the end of the game, 244 yards rushing, more than five yards a carry, Jalen Hurts, three touchdowns on the ground. And in the context of the Bills here, they can't afford not to be aggressive, trailing the Patriots in the AFC East now. And a lot of the you know dual threat quarterbacks, uh, it can come down to is there a game where they're probably going to have a big lead and they can be pretty safe or do they need to be aggressive? I think Allen might need to take what he can get on the ground. The one call out here with the bills being a clear favorite. I know uh, you made a wager on them early in the week before this number hit six. I think it went up to six and a half and now seems to be settling at the six, but that's saying the bills should be a clear favorite here. And if Allen is in position to make a few kneel downs at the end of the game, those do count toward rushing yardage. I mean, just ask anybody who had, Patrick Mahomes rushing yards numbers in that Super Bowl against the 49ers a couple years ago. So yeah, 35 and a half is, a, is about the ceiling of this wager. But in this matchup, I feel pretty good about that. Um, any thoughts on that? Or, or do you do much with props in general? I, I know primarily what I hear from you is sides and totals. I don't do, I don't do props um, uh, in general. Um, I think everything that you've said sounds very reasonable. 
Um, I mean, last week, the, the Bills offense had kind of the same matchup in the terms that the Colts are much better against the run and weaker against the pass. And I think on the first drive, they I think they had two or three designed runs for Josh Allen. So they really tried to get him on the move. And I would be surprised if we saw um, something completely different this week because that's really a way to attack that um, Saints defense. Um, try to hit explosive passes on early downs, avoid running uh, straight into a brick wall and get your quarterback on the move. I think that's a great recipe for success against the Saints. Cool. Yeah, and one more prop that is uh, kind of a staple on this show. Listeners probably saw it coming. Tampa Bay, Indianapolis, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. I like that up to minus 150. And I kind of feel like numbers that some offshore books are hanging for this prop uh, in the minus 125 range. I feel like in a few years, we'll be looking back on that number for this kind of prop in games lined in the 50s. The same way that some more experienced bettors now look back on stale lines on parlay cards back in the day because it just doesn't seem sustainable once enough betters catch on. I think that we're kind of getting a steal in the minus 125 range to see a one-yard touchdown. Uh, from a pure math standpoint, again, highest total on the board, now at 52 and a half. And from a matchup standpoint, I know the Bucks have that really stout run defense, um, but the Colts with Jonathan Taylor have been good in short yardage. I'm hoping Quentin Nelson can bring something to the table in this one. We'll see how that goes. And for Tampa, Tom Brady, the master of the quarterback sneak. And he's also got some big end zone weapons if they need to throw from the one we've seen that time after time. Uh, so if either team's down in you know short yardage near the goal line, feel confident in their ability to convert. At this point, I want to uh, go ahead and uh, wrap us up. One final question for you to weave in the hops and also the Thanksgiving spirit for the audience here in the U.S. Do you have a favorite food and beer pairing or anything you could recommend along those lines? Um. To be completely honest with you, um, <laughs> there is not any kind of food where I don't drink beer to. Um, so <laughs> as soon as we approach the weekend, I will drink beer to every dinner and no matter what food it, it really is. So um, I would say every beer food pairing is a good, uh, good pairing. Yeah, I love that answer. I, I love that sentiment. You can't really go wrong. And I will kind of swing to the other end of the spectrum and get a little specific here. And hopefully it inspires somebody to do something fun at their own Thanksgiving table tomorrow. Um, the beer that I am looking for, uh, I'm opening this in the spirit of, you know, holiday gatherings, an ideal time to open something special. If you've got anything handy that you've been saving, there's a beer called Somnophobia. It's a bourbon barrel aged stout with Panama Geisha coffee. And it's by a brewery called Bottle Logic in Anaheim, California, really close to Disneyland a collab with Voodoo Brewing in Pennsylvania. And another reason this is a good one to share at a holiday gathering, 13% ABV. So it's a heavy hitter, aged for two years in Heaven Hill bourbon barrels. And this is a good one. It's chocolatey, nutty, floral, some really good barrel character to balance out the sweetness that gets this up to 13% ABV and the viscosity for this one just off the charts. It's got a really decadent mouthfeel and that begs for a dessert pairing. In fact, Bottle Logic's tasting notes for this beer mentioned cookie dough. So I'm going to go the classic route, pair it with some good cookie dough ice cream, and uh, see after that 13% sipper if I can stay awake long enough to see this Josh Allen rushing prop come to fruition. And uh, maybe if your bills minus four and a half comes home as well. That um, sounds very good. And I would like to have a bottle of that. Yeah, well, if we can ever uh, if we can ever get you stateside or if I can get to Germany, we'll, uh, we'll have something similar. We'll have quite a few options in front of us. 
and Fabian, at this point, I think we can go ahead and wrap this up. I'd like to make sure to plug your work on Twitter at Suma810, S-U-U-M-A-810. Of course, on the Matchbook NFL betting podcast every Wednesday during the season, um, except for the week of Thanksgiving. So I'm glad we're having this conversation now. You just do amazing work on that show, along with fellow friends of this podcast, Drew Densick and Rob Pizzola. And for more of your original work, football-handicapping.com. Is there anything I'm missing there? Anything you'd like to add? That was a perfect summary. <laughs> All right. Glad to hear it. Well, Fabian, thanks again for your time and insight. It was a blast to bring you back on. Hope to do so once again pretty shortly here. And in the meantime, best of luck with your Week 12 action. Thanks, Matt. I had a blast. Thanks for having me again. And I wish you a very good Thanksgiving with friends and family. Goodbye. Thanks again to Fabian, and thank you for listening. I know we had to make it a pretty tight sign-off due to some scheduling constraints, but to recap our Week 12 bets, Fabian on Tampa Bay laying three at Indianapolis, as well as Atlanta minus one at Jacksonville. That line shot up as high as two and a half right after we recorded. The consensus seems to be settling in at Falcons minus two, and I presume he still likes that number on the Falcons as long as you're laying less than three. Fabian also on the Minnesota-San Francisco over, that consensus number currently 49, a shopper can find 48.5. As for my bets this week, three sides, Detroit plus three hosting Chicago on Thanksgiving, Denver plus three hosting the Chargers, and Minnesota plus three at San Francisco, so hopefully three can be that magic number for us this weekend. One teaser this week as well, Dallas minus one and a half hosting Las Vegas, paired with Miami plus eight hosting Carolina, and two props, Josh Allen over 35 and a half rush yards, shop around, I am still seeing as good as 32 and a half available, and one more prop to round things out, Tampa Bay, Indianapolis, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. If you've enjoyed this episode, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and a close second would be to check out the BetUS NFL show I'm hosting with professional bettors Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. Our Week 12 show is already live. We've broken down every game on the Week 12 board. You can check it out on YouTube or in podcast form via the links in the show notes. I'd also like to thank Timothy Lawson for having me on The Better Life this week. That's his podcast that takes a comprehensive look at all aspects of betting. We dove in with a pretty big NFL focus, and Timothy's one of those people who's just so kind, smart, and engaging. Certainly one of the guys I'm thankful for in the betting space. You can check out our conversation on The Better Life via the link in the show notes. One last housekeeping item, if you live in an area where wagering is legal and want to kill two birds with one stone, Go ahead and sign up for a sportsbook via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page over at dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges and support this show along the way. And you guessed it, you can also find a link to do that in these show notes. Alright, that'll do it. Best of luck with your Week 12 action. Most importantly, have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. I'll talk to you next week. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink and eat well, and let's be well. Mm-hmm.